Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Brand new Flyers Daily for the 30th of December, 2023. Almost 2024. We're getting there. Flyers Daily presented by Ticketmaster. Make more memories live. Only one Flyer goal in this game. It comes shorthanded. To assist on it, however, which means 60 pounds of food will be donated to local communities in need as far, part of the Flyers and Penn Medicine's community assist. So Flyers get a point out of the game. They have now gone nine straight road games uh, where they get at least a point. Point streak of nine straight games on the road. They've been road warriors. They've taken a lot of miles this season with a couple of trips out west, including this trip, which will uh, still have uh, them visiting Calgary and Edmonton to wrap it up. And uh, they've already gone to, done the California trip. They've done the Dallas. Uh, the travel is going to get a lot easier. That was the last game last night that the Flyers will play at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, the game coming up uh, against Edmonton on the 2nd, that'll be a 9 o'clock game. But then after that, the latest game time they'll have is 8 o'clock, Stadium Series game uh, against the New Jersey Devils. And it'll be a lot of 7 o'clock, some matinees, and Flyers will basically be in the same time zone for most of the remainder of the season with a lot of the heavy lifting from a travel standpoint in the rears. Let's get to the particulars from this game, however, as the Flyers get outshot in the game 29-28. to They held Seattle to just five shots in the first period. Uh, but Seattle picked it up in the second, but uh, unable to uh, beat Carter Hart until the third. We'll get to that in a second. Hits were 19-10 in favor of Seattle. Flyers did go on the power play three times. Seattle went on it twice. Seattle capitalized, got a power play goal to tie the game. In the third period, Flyers go over three on the man advantage. And again, you know, we're, we're kind of looking, you know, this team has done so many things well. We're going to talk about two of those things, including the penalty kill or power kill and also just the structure defensively of this team. Uh, but the one thing, kind of the wart on uh, the supermodel, is uh, been the, the power play. And again, it rears its head here. They get a power play goal in the first game of this trip against Vancouver to open the scoring, uh, but they're unable to get one in three opportunities uh, against the Seattle Kraken. And obviously, a power play goal, you're not going to score one every game. Even the top power plays in the league don't. Uh, but uh, the way it could help in a game like this where uh, they're not driving a ton of goal scoring, obviously, they only score the one goal, uh, it would be very pronounced in its effect on the outcome, uh, to say the least. Uh, but the Flyers, in this game, they open the scoring in the first period. They do it on the power kill, as Travis Konechny, at 16-21 of the first, has uh, some good stick to stays with the play, and is able to tuck it behind Joey Decord uh, to pick up a shorthanded goal, his 17th of the season. It's the Flyers' ninth shorthanded goal of the season, which ties them for the league lead uh, with the Calgary Flames and the St. Louis Blues. We'll see Calgary next, coming up on Sunday uh, for New Year's Eve. Uh, Scott Lawton and Travis Sanheim get the assist, and really this play all starts on the PK with a really good read by Scott Lawton. The Seattle Kraken want to go D to D, from the right side of the blue line toward the middle of the ice. But Lawton reads it and kind of jumps the play and causes the turnover, which eventually goes to Sanheim. And because Lawton knew he created the turnover, immediately he darts through the neutral zone. Travis Konechny sees it as well. He darts. So now you got two guys flying up the ice. And Sanheim, I feel like in past years, would have grabbed this puck, got his head up, said, okay, 
Let, let me find the lane, and I'll bomb it. I'll send it down the ice, and we'll get a change here on the PK. But he didn't do that. Because of the success that they've had on the penalty kill offensively this season, Sanheim knows to get his head up and look for a man. And that's exactly what he does. One touch. Doesn't even doesn't dust the puck off in any way, shape, or form. Puck comes to him on the turnover. Quick up, right to Lawton, in stride. He's got Konechny joining him, and now it's two-on-one. Lawton eventually slides it over to Konechny. Konechny stays with it. Eventually pits it behind Joey Decord. Puts the Flyers up one to nothing. And this PK and the ability to create offense off it is astounding. The Flyers have nine power play goals on the road this season. Nine. They have seven, I think now eight, shorthanded goals on the road this season. That's an insane number. It's an indictment on one thing, the power play, but it's also uh, a great thing for the PK. If you could just get the two together, that would make them even more dangerous. Uh, so Flyers go up one nothing. That's how we'd end the first. Like I said, Seattle only had five shots on Carter Hart in that first period. He ate them all up. Seattle much more offensive in the second period. Hart dialed in once again. You could see his game was dialed in. And then eventually in the third at 545 uh, of the third period, Seattle goes on the power play. And they know they're facing a goaltender that's playing very well in Carter Hart. So what do they do? They do what you're supposed to do. Put a ton of traffic around them. And they put a ton of traffic around Hart, impedes his ability uh, to track this shot from Vince Dunn from the point. It's a power play goal. It ties it at one. And that's how the third period would end. Flyers go into that third period, by the way, with the one nothing lead where they're 13-1 and this season going into that third uh, when carrying a lead into the third period. The only time they've lost is back on October 24th against the Vegas Golden Knights. So they're in comfortable territory here. They're in a situation where they're leading going into the third. A lot of those games, it's been a one-goal lead. Go back to the Colorado game. You go back to so many of the other games, Pittsburgh, where you're either tied or up by one heading into a third, and the Flyers have found a way to come out with the two points. Uh, but Seattle of late has been playing some tight hockey games as well. They're five games leading into the game last night, now six, have all been one-goal games. They had a shootout loss, uh, an overtime loss, and then three straight one-goal game wins in regulation uh, for Seattle, and obviously uh, another one last night against the Flyers, 2-1, to one, uh, which they got in overtime. So they've been comfortable in this tight game position as well. But we head to overtime. Uh, Flyers 3-3 three and three in the overtimes this season, but unfortunately, 235 in, it's Justin Schultz has a kind of redirect push shot is the best way to call it. On the uh, left side, the glove say inside of Carter Hart, he's able to uh, get Hart to open up as he's moving from his right to his left, and he's able to kind of shovel that one through. Uh, the five hole is Hart's trying to close that up and get all the holes closed as he's moving over. Just really good puck movement here from Seattle, and Schultz does a real good job not collecting that puck and just gets it right to the right to the goal, ends up beating Hart, and uh, Seattle will grab the extra point in advance of them playing in the Winter Classic coming up uh, in two days, and... Uh, the Flyers will come away with the one point. It's an important point. Man, there's so many years and so many times on this podcast I've talked about the loser point and how I hated it and it didn't mean anything. But, they, again, this one point they get here and now nine games point streak that they have in road games is proving to be 
pretty darn important. It's kind of making me eat my words a little bit in some ways because the Flyers get the one point. Now through 35 games, they've got a record of 19-11-5, 43 points, and they're tied with the New York Islanders uh, in points. Islanders have also played 35 games, 17-9-9. Flyers have the second spot, however, though, because they have the 19 wins and the Islanders have the 17 wins. It also keeps the Flyers ahead of the Carolina Hurricanes, who have played one more game but have 42 points. Devils got a win yesterday. They pick up the two points. They've played 34 games, one less than the Flyers, but are three points back. The Caps, who have now all of a sudden lost three straight games and are 5-3-2 and two in their last 10, uh, sit at 39 points, four points back of the Flyers, still have two games in hand. And the Penguins, with 33 games played, are sitting, uh, what is it, seven points back of the Flyers. And the Pens plus 10 in goal differential, Caps minus 17. Got a feeling that that's kind of smoke and mirrors, and that's going to play itself out in a negative fashion for the Washington Capitals. So next up for the Flyers, it'll be one of the teams that they're tied with for shorthanded goals on the season. That's the Calgary Flames. That'll be 8 o'clock coming up on Sunday uh, in Calgary. And then they'll head to Edmonton to wrap up this four-game, very important four-game road trip against the Edmonton Oilers at 9 o'clock coming up on the 2nd, and will return home uh, Thursday uh, the 4th against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, so 2-1 overtime loss, get a point out of it against the Seattle Kraken. And we'll see Seattle coming up a little bit later this season as well. But in this episode, one of the things I wanted to focus on was two elements. You know, team— I often preach about the teams that are the most dangerous when things get really tight in the NHL are teams that can win and compete in low-scoring games. These games that aren't like hairs on fire, 6-4, to four, or even 5-2. to two. But these games like this one that are 2-1, 3-2, those tight playoff field-type games, they're really important. And the biggest catalyst to that is the teams with the lowest amount of goals allowed per games played. When you look at the teams, you know, at the top in the NHL and the teams that are plus in goal differential, it's all because they keep the puck out of their net. Like the Los Angeles Kings, for example, lead the NHL. They only give up 2.34 goals per game. Winnipeg, they got a record uh, of 29 and 4, 44 points, 2.52 goals per game. These are all teams that have good goaltending. Cam Talbot for the Kings, uh, Hellebuck for the Winnipeg Jets, Vancouver's got Casey DeSmith and Thatcher Demko. They only give up two and a half goals per game. Florida only gives up 2.6. They're fourth in the league. Boston's got Swayman and Allmark, 2.6. The Penguins have gotten good goaltending this year from Tristan Jari, 2.7 goals per game allowed. Flyers, just 2.71, seventh in the NHL. They're actually ahead of the Rangers. They give up less goals than the New York Rangers, who are 24-9-1 on the year, and less than the Vegas Golden Knights, who give up 2.76. And it's that's not just goaltending. I mean, goaltending helps. You know, you look at all of those teams, uh, whether it's Shesterkin with the Rangers or Jari or the tandem of Swayman and Allmark and uh, Bobrovsky with the Florida Panthers and Demko and Smith. Like I said, all the goalies I kind of laid out. But it's also about the team defensive structure. That's a huge element of it. And that is something that I think the structure, I think the seeds of that for this year were planted last year before they instituted this high 
high-volume, high-transition, high-risk offense. They got that part of the muscle memory down for most of these guys to defend the right way, to defend the puck, and defend away from the puck the right way, to not put themselves in really bad, small area, disadvantageous positions. Little mini two-on-ones within the offensive zone where a guy down around the goal line has got one defenseman and a guy sitting back door or migrating high in the slot. They found a way to not over-pursue defensively to be redundant on the puck. And that's a hard thing to do because it's got to be a lot of communication. you got to play with instinct, and guys got to know to do their job and not try and do another guy's job. And if another guy's not doing his job, don't go and try and do his job because then you got two guys not doing their job. So the defensive structure, and again, I think this really goes back into last season and what Bradshaw and John Tortorella really beat into his, their team last year. The first element was, okay, let's defend much better. And last year they had to defend much better and defend a lot more than they've defended this year. And this year it's been, okay, now that we know how to defend, let's just do it a lot less. And let's strain the opposition by playing so much faster in transition. And that's been a very successful formula. But you always got to build your team and build your structure from your own goal line out. Because if you can't defend in this league, you're going nowhere anytime fast. You're basically just on a treadmill walking and you're not going anywhere. So that was a big element of the success that they're seeing this year combined with the way they've adapted to this transition offense and stressing the opponent. The other area, which again goes into structure, and maybe this is part last year paying dividends into this year again, is the penalty kill. They have the fourth-ranked penalty kill in the NHL. Now, a couple components make for a good penalty kill. Number one, first and foremost, is guys that have the will to be penalty killers, that are willing to do what it takes to be a penalty killer and read it right when to take risk, when to press a guy, when to sit back in structure, when to just take away the cross-size passing lanes and protect the middle. That's number one. They do that very well. They do a great job of keeping any opportunities the opposition gets on the penalty kill or on 5-on-5 to the outside and out of the what I always call the house, out of the middle of the ice. So they do that well. And then you have the ability to know when to attack to try and grab offense. And that also, you know, you come in with a reputation when you're a team that's tied at the top of the NHL in shorthanded goals. You come as, you know, the opposition knows that. They're going to attack in certain situations. And it has them a little tentative when you see teams that, are really good on a penalty kill structurally and really good with the element of offense to add to it by being able to score shorthanded goals and being able to get up the ice and create offense shorthanded, even if you don't score, that makes a team a little nervous on the penalty on the power play. And they're kind of going, okay, where are they going to attack? You know, if, if we've got a player on the boards on his backhand, that's probably when we're going to get attacked. If I put a, a puck into somebody's feet – on a cross-ice pass, then that's when they're going to attack. You have to pick your spot when you're penalty killing to attack when the opposition player with the puck is vulnerable, backhand's vulnerable, puck in your feet, vulnerable. 
when you can kind of surround them or you know push them into coverage, then they're vulnerable. Then guys can do that. Those two areas have been huge. And as good as the penalty kill is at 86 point, north of 86% that they're killing off, the element of adding nine shorthanded goals is, you know, that's just, that's frosting on top of the cake. That they've got guys like Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny and Travis Sanheim who now kills penalties and can create offense and transition on the PK. It's been such a huge difference for this team. Even though the power play has been obviously a huge, huge letdown this season, I mean, you look at the power play, it's the second worst in the NHL. It's at 11.2%. I mean, 11.2%. But, I mean, imagine if the, the PK was average in the NHL. I think that would cost them at least three, maybe four wins to what they have right now. And they would probably be six, eight points lower in the standings. And if that's the case, they're in the seventh spot in the division. Penguins are seven points back in the seventh spot. If they don't have, you know, six, eight points, standings points, and I think that's what the PK and the defensive structure in the D zone has given them, they're, we're not enjoying this year. We're saying, okay, they're probably in the mix for top of the draft once again. And we're not feeling great about the step forward that this team is making. That's how pronounced those two elements, defensive zone structure and now able to play quickly in transition and the penalty kill and power kill creating offense. That's what it has meant to the record this season. It's a huge difference. We're not enjoying hockey here coming up to 2024 like we are if those two elements aren't clicking at a very high rate and a very high standard. That's a, that's a fact. I don't think that one can be debated. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll preview New Year's Eve with the Flyers and Calgary Flames. We'll get you ready for that game, and that will be coming up tomorrow on a brand-new edition of Flyers Daily.